Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. These lights are bright. If you haven't been up here, you ought to come try it. <laughs> I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to be able to share with you this morning at the absence of our pastoral staff. It's not very often that all four of them are gone at the same time. I'd like to start by introducing you to a, a man by the name of Carlos. He was a cantankerous fellow. But on a particular day, he found himself on his deathbed after having lived a life of indulgence and debauchery. An old pastor smith was standing at his bedside. Pastor Smith looked down at Carlos and he says, Do you renounce the devil and all of his evil ways? Stirring a little bit in his bed, Carlos looked up and says, Are you kidding? Now is not the time to be making enemies. (laughs) Well, I pray today that your faith doesn't fall quite that short. With that in mind, let me share some scriptures with you in regards to our faith, our, our faith in God, specifically faith in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to read with me, it's Mark 5, chapters 21 through 43. But yeah, stand with me while we read scripture this morning. Mark 5, starting with verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus... She came up behind him and the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, the disciples answered. Yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what happened to her, came and fell at his feet 
and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Tala, come, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. In another translation I read, it would just simply meant little lamb, rise. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Amen. You may be seated, but isn't that a marvelous story? I was thinking about these people that were highlighted here. They, they took actions of their own. First, Jairus, the synagogue ruler, he thought up this idea in his own head, devised his own covert tactic. He thought, if I go to Jesus, and he carried out his plan, but he thought, if I go to Jesus, and secondly, this unnamed woman, I wish they'd have given her name here. This unnamed woman in the crowd devised a covert tactic of her own. If only I touch his cloak. Wow. Amazing statement. If only I can touch his cloak. I also thought about Zacchaeus. How'd that song go? We little man, we little man was he. He went and climbed a sycamore tree. Did he possibly think to himself beforehand, I'll fool him. I can see him well up high in this tree. I'm going to go climb the tree. I also thought about the two blind men. They were collaborating together, thinking out loud or to, to, to themselves to shout out loud when Jesus approached. I played that role in the, in, in the plays here some years ago of Bartimaeus, the blind man. But these two men here, I, I think they, they, they thought this plan up in themselves that when Jesus got close, they'd yell out, Son of David, have mercy on us. 
Son of David, have mercy on us. Can you feel it in their voice? They had one hope, and that was in Jesus, so they thought up this plan. Oh, there's many other stories from Scripture similar to these. I don't have time to read them all to you today, but they're all equally dynamic. But these people came up with a plan, a conspiracy of their own of something to get the attention of Jesus. Really? They thought that up all by themselves? Is that possible? Or did something stir in their heart? I don't know that they initiated these thoughts all on their own to begin with, to take some action. Rather, I believe they responded to the thoughts in their hearts that was promoted by the Spirit of God. You see, it's not what we do that brings us salvation. It's what God does that brings us salvation. And he puts a burden or a thought of something in our heart. And we have the opportunity to respond to it. That's how I found the Lord 33 years ago right here. I don't remember what Pastor Paul was preaching but I was sitting right back there about where Glenn is at. But I came up here because God prompted something in my heart. I don't believe I'd have come up with that on my own. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reads, For it is by grace that you have been saved through the faith of And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Or Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I got to share part of my testimony with you this morning. As many as many of you know that I am a pastor. I'm a Nazarene elder. I've been prayed over, sworn in, sworn at, ordained, baptized by the Spirit of God. You know, by now, I should be just about nearly perfect, wouldn't you think? Man, my crown, I haven't seen it yet, but it should be polished and glowing really bright. I should be sitting really tall on my pedestal right now. Yeah? Can you visualize that? Well, hold on a moment. Before you get too excited, uh, let me clue you in. Pastors are not perfect, and especially this one. Pastors are not SSEP. 
You probably haven't heard SSEP before. But that is super special, extraordinary people. Yes, pastors are leaders in the church. And they do their best to live a Christian example before you. And through the leading of the Holy Spirit, they strive for that. But shouldn't all Christians be doing that as well? Pastors are only different by the nature of their calling. Other people are called by God to be homemakers, teachers, administrators, firefighters, construction workers, police officers, bloggers, railroaders, city workers, computer techs, doctors, cooks, roofers, mechanics, insurance agents, nurses, grocery clerks, medics. Did I mention homemakers? Of that list, that's about my favorite one. The greatest calling that God can give our ladies to be a homemaker. That doesn't mean that you have to even have children, but you're still making a home with you and your husband. What an awesome calling from God. But that's what some of you are, along with all these others I mentioned and so many more. I don't know all the occupations. But I need to ask you, what has God called you to be? Was it one of these that I mentioned or something else? Yes, pastors are led by the churches to love the churches, preach the gospel, teach the scriptures, marry them and bury them. But just like you, we pastors appreciate some compliments and some encouragement along the way. And I've had some wonderful encouragement just this morning helping me prepare for this moment to stand before you and bring God's message to you. However, I personally have not yet met a pastor who went into ministry to get rich. There may be some somewhere, but I personally have not met one that fit that definition to get rich. You see, on 14th of December, 2015, one and a half years ago, I don't know if you can imagine this, but maybe just a little bit, but I was naked and covered by only a sheet. I was laying on a surgery gurney at Sacred Heart Hospital. Oh, all the pre-op things were underway, and they were putting these IVs in my arms, and getting ready to push other things into them that they hadn't done yet. So I did not yet have any sedatives in me. And suddenly my, my brain, well, I was so busy with this trying to pray, but I didn't even know what to pray, but my brain started wandering to all kinds of stuff. It overwhelmed me. 
The reason it overwhelmed me because in spite of all this, I had not prepared or petitioned, excuse me, I had not petitioned the Lord yet about my pending heart surgery. And prayer was my only recourse. And I started off, well, uh, I think something like, oh God, forgive me for not first trusting totally in you. I did not submit myself to you for your divine presence, comfort, or healing. Lord, I do believe that you have that power to heal me totally. You see, outside of that setting, I would have been counseling other people to pray before they even got that far in the preparations for surgery. You know, like a perfect pastor would have done. But then my mind just really lost. I was, I couldn't, could not organize my thoughts. I found myself at a total loss for words. What happened to my faith? The dictionary tells us that faith connotes a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. That's the simple bottom line for the word faith. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Some synonyms to faith is trust, belief and confidence, conviction, and hope. I am a retired firefighter. And when you call the fire department, you have faith that within a few minutes, a fire engine will show up. You have confidence if you call the police that within a few minutes, the blue lights will be out there or an ambulance. Or Jimmy John's. Something should happen when you have some faith. But the anonym of faith is simply mistrust. We have a good lesson in the scripture in Genesis about Abraham and his faith. And God credited it to him as righteousness. But I didn't feel any righteousness at the time. I was laying there on a gurney. In its barest and primary form, faith is simply crediting or accepting God's testimony. In preparing this message, this really stood out to me. Faith is simply crediting or accepting God's testimony. So just what is God's testimony? Well, we find it in 1 John 5. Verses 11 and 12, 1 John 5 reads, This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son, he who does not have the Son, God does not have life. God has given us his eternal life because we believed in him and have faith in him. 
And so my story of my, of my uh, experience, I had to question my faith. So it came out to be how much faith is necessary for God to answer your prayer. We have prayers for salvation. We have prayers for guidance. We have prayers that God would give us wisdom or that God would bring us healing or bring healing to a loved one. How much faith does it take to be made perfect to receive your grace? Does it take a bucket full? See, I got a bucket full of faith here. It's pretty, how full is your bucket? How much does it take to have God's grace? Do you have a bigger bucket? I had a bigger bucket. I didn't want to bring it because it said Home Depot on it. It would have been fine. You know, some of you's faith might have been like that for me that, that day that I was laying in that gurney. It could have been a smaller bucket, but it was leaking. And throughout the week, your faith is going to run out. And every Sunday, you're going to come back to church and maybe get a refill. So you come back to church on Sunday and hopefully attend Sunday school or come to morning worship service and listen to the pastor bring a message to you and maybe refill your bucket like I can do right here. And then you go out again during the week. But how much faith do you have in your bucket? And is it running low on you at times? My faith bucket was really low that day, folks. And with sudden astonishment, I returned to full comprehension and reality of where I was laying. God spoke to me, and his answer, he answered my prayer, and he spoke to my heart like an audible voice coming from somewhere. I don't know if others in the room could hear it or not, but he spoke to me. And it was simple. He said, Dwayne, had to be a little stern, had to get my attention. Dwayne, your faith is sufficient. You know, there could have been a million people there by the name of Dwayne, and I've been the only one that would have looked. Because he spoke to me. What is your name? There's a million people in this world who probably have the same name as you do. If you were in a crowd with just people with your name and God spoke, you'd be the only one that would turn to where that voice came from. Everybody else would look around in bewilderment. But you would know that he spoke to you. And that's the way I was that morning. God spoke my name. It was personal. Dwayne, your faith is sufficient. That's all he said, and he only said it once. But he had my attention.
even if I wasn't perfect, even if my bucket wasn't completely full, my faith was sufficient. You know why? Because his grace is sufficient. That's why. How much faith does it take for you to be made perfect for God? How much of God's grace does it take for you to be made perfect for his use? I was thinking about sheetrock workers, and Glenn would probably relate to this, but I was scraping some mud on a wall with a big wide trowel and a tiny little speck. I don't know what it was, but a tiny little speck was on the wall before my trowel, and it left a streak all the way across that wall. But God's grace is sufficient enough that he helps you get rid of the little speck, and then you can spread the sheetrock so smooth that it may not even need much sanding. You see, you don't have to be perfect in your faith for God to make you useful for him. And I'm telling you this morning, your faith is sufficient too. Just as God told Paul that, his, that my grace is sufficient, do we have enough faith to be worthy of God's grace? How much of God's grace does it take for you to be made perfect for his use? Well, the answer to those questions is yes. You have enough faith. Because one bucket here is filled partly by the other bucket below it. But both buckets can be refilled. One bucket encourages the other bucket. We can do that for one another in our faith. Your pastors get refilled during the week too with their Bible study and prayer. Some of our laymen came and prayed with me this morning before I came in here to preach. But they do that every morning, every Sunday with our pastors down here. Were you aware of that? Some key laymen in our church, every Sunday morning they come into the pastor's office and pray over them. So when they come up here to share with you, the Holy Spirit of God is at work. But what about you? Where's your faith at? Do you need a refill this morning? I hope this message brings you the encouragement to know you need not be afraid. Like I was laying on that gurney. God gave me a settling peace in my heart that was a, I've never felt it before. I don't know if I ever feel it again. I hope I don't have to have that surgery again. But, but I know now without a doubt that God was there. And God will refill your faith as well. He can do it right there where you're sitting or you can come up here to this altar and I and other People would pray with you. It's kind of like getting on an airplane. 
I would imagine probably most, if not all of you, have flown on an airplane. Maybe you fly one yourself. But have you ever got on the plane and went the other way up to the where the pilots are at and, and asked them, do you have enough faith that this thing's going to work? I don't know if I'm going to sit down back here yet. Do you have enough faith in yourself and this airplane I'm getting on that it's going to work? If you don't, I don't want to get on. <laughs> and I can only imagine if you did that, the, the pilot's answer would be, well, if I don't, I don't want to go either. <laughs> so don't be afraid to refill your faith. God knows your heart. He knows the intention of your heart. And he will fill you full. And if some of it leaks out, he'll refill you. I'm going to close with Hebrews 4, 16. It simply reads, Let us then approach the thorn of grace with confidence. Amen? Amen. Father, we close here this morning. I pray that this message will help encourage someone to pick them up, to lift them up for whatever challenges they may be faced with, to know that you're there with them, that your grace will cover them, and your faith in God will be sufficient. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. You are dismissed.